Well, guys, we are in about week five of our series called Doubt in the Storm. Up, up here, Nick, front row. Um, Doubt in the Storm. And it's a series where we've been learning to hang on for dear life um, when it seems that God doesn't care. And so far, we've talked about resting in the storm. We've talked about um, walking in the storm. We've talked about sinking in the storm. And uh, hopefully, uh, we've been learning truths from Scripture that we can put into practice in our everyday lives as we face the storms um, that come our way in life. And that really is the whole point of the series. It's just not to look at stories. It's to actually learn some things that we can apply to our life. Well, today we finally get out of the boat. We have been on the Sea of Galilee for three weeks now, but we're going to get out of the boat, and we're going to finally be on dry ground for a change. And uh, we're going to be focusing not on the disciples' interactions with Jesus, but on, on other people's interactions with Jesus. And today's story is kind of a unique one because we're going to start with one story, and then about midstream, we're going to suddenly be interrupted with another story. And so once again, uh, I believe this one's going to be kind of a, it's going to be a two-weeker uh, because there's no way to cover both stories in, in one week. In fact, it may even be a three-weeker, I'm not sure. Uh, but once again, we're going to abruptly stop mid-story, and it's going to be a bit awkward, but that's okay. I think we've gotten used to that by now. We've been doing that for a while. But uh, just to prepare you, that's what's going to happen today. So let's, let's get into it, and let's dig into today's story. I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And to kind of set up the story, this story happens shortly after the story we talked about three weeks ago. Remember the story when they're crossing over the lake and Jesus is asleep on the cushion in the boat and the storm comes and it seems like the boat's going to sink and Jesus stands up and he calms the storm? Well, after that story, they arrive on the other side of the lake and Jesus um, releases a man who is possessed by a legion of demons. He sets the man free, sends him on his way, and he is coming back over the lake and that's where our story picks up today. Verse 21 of Mark chapter 5, it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So Jesus comes back from setting that man free from a legion of demons, and when he arrives on the shore, there's this large group of people waiting for him on the shore. And so I'm sure Jesus gets out of the boat, and he's standing there on the shore, probably talking and teaching and probably healing different people. But I want for us to get a picture of what is going on here. I th because I think sometimes we picture these stories, we read them, and we picture this beautiful little serene thing where Jesus is sitting on a rock and there's a number of people around him and he's just gently teaching him, kind of like this picture up here. And he's just, you know, it's just wonderful. The gentle breeze is flowing, the birds are, are singing. And that's what we think. We just think that's our large group of people. But you need to understand something. This is a huge number of people crowding around him. We're talking huge crowds. Try to picture a sitting, setting where it is literally uncomfortable. It's stifling, sweaty, smelly crowds all pressing in to be next to Jesus. I picture more like this. This is what I picture it like. How many of you guys hate large crowds? Come to first service. You will have plenty of room. You won't have to move around. It's just... There's no crowd there. But I'm with you guys. I do not like large crowds. I don't like going to, uh, what's it called? Not State Farm. St State Fair. 
uh, State Farm. <laughs> I don't like going to the State Farm. There's just a ton of crowd. But yeah, State Fair, there's way too many people there. Uh, I don't like going to Summerfest, way too many people there. And I just don't like that. But you know, when I was a youth pastor, um, you know, you just got to suck it up and do some things. And we had to go to concerts. And I, I hate concerts. I think that's what hell's going to be like. I think it's going to be <laughs> one big concert. And, uh, but I remember going to my first concert with my youth group, and it's summer in Madison, and there's just tons of people packed into this one place. And the kids are like, Luke, come down to the mosh pit with us. And I'm like, okay, I don't even know what a mosh pit is, but I'll go down there. And I get down there, and, you know, you get them, and it's people, and the teenagers stink, and it, you know, there's no oxygen, and it's hot, and it's nasty. And then the music starts, and they're all jumping and, you know, bumping into each other. And I had kind of like a little mini panic attack. I'm like, get me out of here. And I'm like running away from my kids. And I ran out of the concert. And I'm like sitting outside like, why am I here? This isn't, this can't be godly. This can't be good for my kids, you know. And, I, and kids are coming out like, Luke, what's your problem? I'm like, I don't know. I hate people. I just don't want to be around people. <laughs> but you know, seeing that this is what it was like for Jesus makes me kind of wonder what's happened to Christianity. I mean, if, if you look at Jesus' ministry, half the time, he's trying to get away from people. You ever notice that? He's, he's trying to get off to a solitary place. He's, he's, he gets in the boat to go to the other side of the lake. I mean, he's, he's trying to get away from the gigantic crowds of people who are always clamoring to be around him. And that's what it was like for Jesus. Whereas nowadays with churches, if you notice, most people don't want to be around Christians. Churches have to have huge marketing budgets to try to promote themselves just to try to get people in through the doors. And Christianity, Christianity has become more about promoting themselves rather than being attractive to people. And, you know, we technically should have the same problem as Jesus had. I mean, we, we should be, you know, trying to ha- having crowds of people wanting to be around us. But you know what? We don't. And I would suppose that the answer to that is because we don't live like Jesus. We don't act like Jesus. We don't talk like Jesus. We don't look like Jesus. And therefore, we don't have the same results Jesus did. And that really is shame on us. And so, Whitestone, I would love for us to see that change happen in our midst to where we become attractive to the world around us, where they want to be with us because we look like Jesus. Amen? Well, anyways, Jesus is here by the shore, and let's keep reading. It says, verse 22, Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Does anybody here have the name Jairus? Jer- Jarius. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm glad I asked the question. We got a Jarius up here. That's a sweet name. Jarius, what's that? You've never had anybody else? Well, man, you're in the Bible. That's all that matters. <laughs> then one of the synagogue rulers named Jarius came there, and seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So just so you know what's going on, um, a synagogue ruler comes up to Jesus. Now, a synagogue, in case you don't know, is, is kind of like a building like this. It was a place of worship, and it was, the, in a sense, the center of the Jewish community. 
every Jewish community would have a synagogue in it. And the synagogue ruler was the administrative head of the synagogue. He would be like the president of the board of elders who made sure that there was good management happening in the synagogue. He was responsible for the conduct of the services that would be held there. And he's somewhat of a bigwig in the community. He would have been a very respected man in the community. And it was this kind of guy who comes up to Jesus in this story. And when he came up to Jesus, he fell on his knees and he begged Jesus to do something. This bigwig man of the community falls on his knees and he begs Jesus to come to his house. Now, he doesn't care what people think of him. He doesn't care what people might say behind his back. He only cares about his daughter. And you can hear the urgency in his voice. He's saying, my little daughter is dying. In another passage, it tells us that his daughter is 12 years old. So his little 12-year-old daughter is dying. Does anybody have a 12-year-old daughter here today? Okay, some of you do. You can imagine what this guy's going through. You can put yourself in this man's shoes. I have a daughter as well. She's not 12, but it's the only daughter I have, and so I can feel the pain and urgency that he must be feeling. He needs a miracle, and he needs it immediately. She is on the brink of death, and he cannot spare a second. He needs Jesus to come to his house right now, so he pleads with Jesus to come, which is interesting. I mean, he's there in a crowd of thousands of people, thousands of people who probably needed Jesus to do something. And then he comes up to Jesus and he says, can you come to my house? And look what it says in 24. So Jesus went with him. I love that about Jesus. You see, Jesus loved this man and he loved his daughter. And he begins to go with him to his house. Now notice what it says next. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. The large crowd that was on the shore, well, they began to follow him and they pressed all around them. In fact, in the Luke passage, check this out. This is incredible. Luke passage, it says, and Jesus was on his way and the crowds almost crushed him. That's how bad it is. This is not only uncomfortable, this is almost downright dangerous. A huge throng of humanity is pressing in so much towards Jesus that they're almost crushing him. And that sometimes happens when there's large crowds of people. Uh, My daughter went to Summerfest a couple years ago, and she said that she was at the gate wanting to get in. They were all lining up to get, you know, turning their ticket and to walk in. And she said, all of a sudden, just Thousands of people began to show up at the gates and they're all like pressing in and they're wanting to get in there. And the people in the front were getting pressed in and pressed in and it was, they were starting to get smashed. And this pregnant woman was sitting there in the line and she started screaming because her stomach started to get crushed and it became this huge thing and they had to call the police and they had to shut the gates and it was a mess. Well, that's what this setting is like. It's a crazy setting. Don't think of some serene, peaceful little thing. No, it is utter chaos. And I don't know about you, but if I were that synagogue ruler, I would be going crazy right here because my daughter is dying and this crowd of people is pressing in on me and Jesus and we can't get through. This is a panic attack sort of moment. It's a little bit, I mean, it's nothing like this. This just popped in my mind. I don't even know why I'm saying it. It's a little bit like after service when I need to go to the bathroom and all second service is coming in. You're just kind of like, you know, it's panic attack. But this guy, he has to be freaking out. He's like, will we get to my daughter in time? And that thought had to be going through his mind. Well, it's right here 
in the midst of this utter chaos that our story gets completely interrupted. Interrupted by another desperate person. And the first desperate person basically just gets set on hold. And we focus now on the second desperate person. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I want to stop there. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. There's a reason I chose this story. As I told you in the beginning of this series, in this storm that I'm going through with my wife, I'm, I mentioned that I have been hanging on for dear life sometimes because it feels like God doesn't even care. It feels like God doesn't even take notice. And so I've been going through the Gospels, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and looking for stories of doubt and stories of, of fear and stories of suffering where people interacted with Jesus in the middle of their own storms. And in doing so, I've been hoping to learn how to navigate through the crashing waves and through the driving wind of the storms that happen to surround us at the moment. And I guess what I'm just looking for, I'm looking for people who I can identify with and help grow my own life in faith. Well, this is one of those stories. However, this story, I'll tell you, means a whole lot more to my wife than it does to me. And here's the reason why. Because this woman has been suffering for 12 years. This woman hasn't been suffering for a couple months. No, she's been suffering for 12 years. She's been suffering for a long, long time. And my wife can identify with this woman. And you know what? So can many of you. And so I, I want to stop if I could this morning. And I'm not going to shut the rest of us out, but I want to address those in our midst who are here today who have been suffering for a long time. And I, I don't know what it is you're suffering with, but you have been going through it for years and years and years. Chronic sufferers. Whether it be MS or lupus or Lyme's or fibromyalgia or back pain or some surgery you had or something, something you're going through and the pain just never stops and you never get better. And you've had this for years upon years. I want you to pay especially attention to this story because this is your story. You will be able to identify with this woman. You will know exactly how she's feeling because you're going through it too. But this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Now, not only is that horrible, a horrible thing to go through, but it gets worse, and let me explain. And as I explain this, in doing so, those of you who are chronic sufferers, you're going to completely understand how she feels. This woman has a female problem where seemingly she continues to have menstrual bleeding, and it has lasted for 12 years. And what we might not understand with this story is that this specific problem that she suffered with, basically, according to the law, declared her to be unclean. Okay? So not only was this affecting her health, it was making her unclean, which then cut her off from worship of God and the fellowship of her friends. People weren't allowed to be around someone who was unclean, so she wasn't allowed into the synagogue to worship. And for 12 years, it had been like this. And you know, that's the crazy thing about suffering. Suffering has a way of isolating us from our friends and our family. 
Those of you who suffer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't get to do what the normal human being gets to do. You don't get to hang out with your friends when you want to. You don't get to be active and do all the fun things others are doing. You can't. You're in too much pain. And you look on Facebook and you see all the posts of the fun things people get to do and are doing and you sit curled up on your couch or in your bed just wishing that you could do that, but you can't. They have their wonderful lives, but you just have yours and it isn't much of one. And not only that, but often pain or whatever you're suffering with keeps you from being able to worship with your church family. You, you can't make it to the prayer night. You can't make it to the life group. You can't make it to the anniversary Sunday celebration. You can't make it to anything because you are in pain and you miss out on the fellowship of believers. You miss out on worshiping together in song. You miss out on hearing the word of God being preached and taught. And more and more, you feel isolated. And this is how this woman would have felt for 12 years. And as if that wasn't bad enough, it gets worse. In that day, there was also a thought that was going around that really isn't uncommon even in our day, but the thought was that if someone was sick and wasn't healed, then God apparently was rejecting them. That somehow they might be in sin and, and God was in a sense stiff-arming them and refusing to heal them and therefore rejecting them. And this was a very common thought. So imagine this young woman is not only isolated, but she's being judged by everyone. She's being looked down upon by everyone. There must be something wrong with her. God must be angry. He must be punishing her. And I'm sure she was the topic of many conversations behind her back. You know, that's true about suffering. Suffering often leads to judgment from others. Once again, those of you who suffer, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, people may not be talking about behind your back, but who knows, maybe they are. But when people don't understand, we tend to judge, don't we? we? We make our judgments. We have our opinions. And often our opinions aren't very kind. And it hurts. And you not only hurt physically, but you hurt emotionally. And it isolates you even more. And making things worse is your own mind, that nagging thought that the enemy keeps throwing your way over and over again is God rejecting me? Is God angry at me? Is he punishing me? Is there sin in my life that's causing this? Why do I continue to keep suffering day in and day out with no relief? There must be something wrong with me. And I know that this woman had to have been feeling these things, possibly even to a worse degree. That's what suffering does. And those of you who suffer, you know these thoughts intimately. Verse 26 says she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now this verse right here breaks my heart for this young woman. For 12 years, she had been to doctor after doctor after doctor. And she had spent how much? All she had. Every last dollar. And yet instead of getting better, she has gotten worse. And when you're in pain and you're suffering with disease, the truth is you'll be willing to do anything to try to get better. 
You become desperate. And you know, I, I'm not a sufferer, but my wife is. And so I know that feeling. I know how this woman, you know, what she's going through. And I know so do so many of you. We have been to so many doctors and been to so many different specialists and, and taken so many different tests and taken so many different supplements and spent all kinds of money. And rather than get better, Shauna actually has gotten worse. And listen, I need you to hear me on this this morning. I'm not standing up here complaining, trying to get your sympathy. I'm simply saying, I, I know how this woman must feel. I can identify with her situation. In fact, I'm sure many of you can. It's the most hopeless feeling there is when no one can fix the problem. No one. And it keeps getting worse. Verse 27, it says, When she heard about Jesus, and I want to stop there. When she heard about Jesus. Now listen, this woman has tried everything. And I'll, I'll bet she's, she's tried some pretty crazy stuff. I was reading a book that was quoting some things from the Talmud, and I guess the Talmud would list some things that uh, some of these doctors in that day and age, the, the remedies that they would come, with, come up with, and some of them were very superstitious. One of them that stands out to me was that if you, you could find an ostrich egg, and if you held on rainy days, if you kept the ostrich egg in a linen cloth, and you kept it with you, and on sunny days, you'd keep the ostrich egg on a, in a cotton cloth or some sort of burlap cloth, then you would get better. Seems reasonable? I don't know, but whatever. But as I said, when you are in so much pain, you become desperate. You're willing to try anything. There was another one that stood out to me. This was absolutely crazy. But they said what you do is you look for a white donkey and you look for their poop. And in the poop, if you find pieces of corn, you take the corn out and you put the corn in your pocket and after a while of keeping the corn in your pocket, you will get better. Has anybody ever tried that? Just, I don't want to make fun of you, but if you have, it probably won't work. But that's what doctors did, stuff like that. And when people are desperate, you know, as we all know, charlatans suddenly show up at your door. And here seemingly, you know, this woman had to have think this, that here we go again, someone else tells her about this guy named Jesus who supposedly could heal her if she went to him. Now, I don't know, but I'm sure she doubted this the first time she heard about him. <laughs> right. Some guy who can heal. How much money does he want? What's he going to make me do? Because I'll tell you, I'm not going to do another stupid thing that I've been told to do. I'm not, I'm, I, I can't pay another penny because I don't have any. But you know, I'll bet you this woman, when she heard about Jesus, I'll bet you she went to these crowds and she watched from a distance. And she probably watched Jesus heal one person after the next and heal the blind person and the deaf person and the lame person could walk again. And she watched from a distance. And so now she becomes part of this crowd. She's one woman in the midst of thousands and thousands and thousands of people. In verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes... I will be healed. I want to just stop there for a second and focus on that. She came up behind him in the crowd. She's being very sneaky here. She's just kind of like coming behind him. She comes up behind him and she wants to touch his cloak. And, and 
I just want us to kind of talk about that. Why do you think she came up behind him and, and touched his cloak? Why, why don't you think, why didn't she come up in front of him and deal with him face to face? Any ideas? Raise your hand. Let's just kind of talk about this as a group. What do you think? She's embarrassed. Exactly. Anybody else? Jerry's? She's considered unclean. So, I mean, if she, you know, that came forward, that would be horrible. Okay, she was scared of Jesus seeing her heart. Anybody else? Way in the back? Yeah, she probably felt just very unworthy. And there's a number of reasons that could be true. The, the scripture doesn't tell us. But her condition, let's just face it, her condition was embarrassing. It wasn't like, Jesus, I have a tumor here. Can you please heal it? And boom, the tumor's gone. No, she has menstrual bleeding. She doesn't want to get up in front of the entire crowds of people and, and declare out loud that this is what's going on. That's embarrassing. Not only, not only that, but like Jerry has said, this, this would declare her unclean in front of a crowd of people where people are like, oh, my word, you're unclean. Why are you even doing here? Get out of here, you weirdo. And, and she's put up with enough rejection in her life she doesn't want to face anymore. And you know, somehow I, I think that maybe she just feared being rejected by Jesus. I mean, God hasn't healed her for 12 years, and if he hasn't done it by now, he may not want to. And what if she comes up to Jesus and he just blows her off? I don't think that she could handle that kind of rejection. Not only that, what if he charged her for the healing? What if he says, okay, well, you owe me this. I don't have anything to give him. There's a number of reasons, but what, for whatever reason, she chose to sneak up behind him and touch his cloak in secret. Now, this cloak that Jesus would have been wearing, apparently every devout Jew wore an outer cloak with four tassels on it, one at each corner. And these tassels were worn in obedience to the command in Numbers chapter 15, where God tells the Jewish people to wear this cloak with the tassels on it. And it was a badge of a very devout Jew. And it would have been one of these tassels that this woman would have reached out and touched. Now I want to stop here for a second and just try to imagine what's running through her mind. Why in the world would she think that touching Jesus' tassels would do anything? Here's why. I think that this woman is showing signs of faith in her thinking. I'm sure that she's watched from a distance and seen Jesus heal many people before her. Over and over, healing one after another. And I'm sure she's thinking to herself, there is no way that an ordinary man could do this. There has to be something going on in the unseen realm. An unseen God had to be working in the unseen realm through this man to do these kinds of things. And in a very real sense, she was seeing the kingdom of God at work. And she trusted in God and his unseen power. So much so that she reasoned that if she simply touched his clothes, that that would do it for her. That, that would, the power would flow through it and heal her. And Whitestone, that simply put right there, is faith. She believed in God and his unseen power. And she believed that it could heal her. And you know what? She was right. Because in verse 29, it says, Immediately her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Now, as I said before, 
we're going to abruptly stop the story. And this is where we're going to stop it. There's more to her story that we'll cover next week. But I want to stop right here for today. Because I think so often we, we rush to the end. But I just want to sit on this for a second. Let's just soak this moment up. For 12 years, this woman has suffered. For 12 years, she has tried one thing after another, been to doctor after doctor, man after man, promising healing and never producing a thing. And for 12 years, she has never felt anything different except that she's gotten worse. She just suffered and suffered and suffered. When all of a sudden, she reaches out and she touches the cloak of Jesus, and immediately her bleeding stopped. And it says that she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Just look at that phrase right there. Soak that up. She felt in her body. She could feel it. She didn't have to claim it by faith. She could feel it that she was freed from her suffering. She could feel that the chains had been ripped, and off, ripped off of her that had been holding, holding her captive for 12 years. The prison door had been opened so that she could step out. She had been freed from her suffering. And can I just say, as your pastor and as your brother in Christ and as someone who loves you very much, I want to address all of you in this room who are suffering and been suffering for a long time. This is my hope for you. And this is my prayer for every single one of you. That one day you would feel in your body that you've been freed from your suffering. That's what I want. Now, I don't know what that would feel like, but I'll bet you you do. I bet you you would know exactly what that would feel like. You might be able to say, I can breathe again. You might be able to say, I would stand up straight and there'd be no pain. I can move my hands again. I can run and leap. You know what that would feel like. And man, I wish that so bad for all of you. That's my prayer that Jesus would do that for you one day. Well, before we wrap up, I want to quickly see what we can learn from this story so far. And here's the obvious. The obvious is, guys, we must not put our faith in doctors. We must not put our faith in medication. We must not put our faith in remedies. And we must not put our faith in money. Now, does God use those things sometimes? absolutely he does but we must never put our faith in any single one of them because if we do they will let us down and they will leave us empty we must not put our faith in anything but jesus amen faith is meant to only be placed on jesus and his unseen kingdom Another thing that's obvious about this story so far is that stood out to me is that this woman, you know, she's, she's been suffering for 12 years. She's been to everything. She's tried everything. She's spent all of her money. Basically, things are hopeless for her. And people usually, when they get to that point in their life, what do they usually do? They give up. They say, you know, what's the point anymore? They turn their back on God and they give up. 
But you know, this woman didn't do that. She got out of her house that day, and she got into that crowd, and she pushed her way through that crowd, and she got to Jesus, and she reached out, and she touched him. You know, Scripture says, if you seek, you will what? You'll find. And you know what? She sought Jesus, and she found him. And her life was never the same after that. But that's the obvious. Let's focus on the not so obvious. Because if you're like me, you read the story and you ask yourself, what what does it mean in our everyday lives to reach out and touch Jesus' cloak to receive healing? Because, I mean, if Jesus were here in person, if Jesus were here in flesh and blood, standing up here on this stage, I would guarantee you that those of you who are suffering and in pain, you would clamor out of your seats and you'd come run up here, you'd launch me out of the way, I'd probably land in the baptismal, and you'd reach out and you'd grab hold of Jesus' robe, you'd grab hold of his cloak because you trust Jesus, you know Jesus can heal you, and you would grab hold and you would experience healing. But you know what? Jesus isn't here in person, is he? He's not here in the flesh. So what are we to do? What does that mean for you and me? To reach out and touch the garment of our unseen God. That's the question we must answer. And that's not such an obvious answer. And so rather than me get up here and try to give you some little fancy answer, what I felt like the Spirit wanted me to do is to make that our homework. This week, what I want us to do is to read this story up to this point. Meditate on it. And I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what it means to reach out and touch the garment of our unseen God. Don't run to commentaries. Don't Google it. Don't look at the little things at the bottom of your Bible I want you to spend time with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our guide. He's our instructor. Ask him the answer to that question. And guys, don't rush this. Don't make this a five-minute exercise. Spend some time with your unseen rabbi and ask him. And let's see what the Lord shows this Whitestone family. And if you would, if you want to, Just email me your answers. I'd love to see what God shows you. And then next week, we will continue on with the story. We have a little more to finish up with this desperate woman, but then next week, we're going to focus on this desperate man. And we're going to see that Jesus ministers to both of them in a beautiful way. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the story. God, it's just a story of two incredibly desperate people desperately needed you and they experienced you in a mighty and awesome way and God I pray for us this church family first of all I pray that we would be a group of believers that looked like Jesus that acted like Jesus and we live like Jesus to where the world wants to be around us because they see something different. Secondly, Jesus, I pray as we open up your word this week and we do our homework, that your spirit would train us and teach us and give us insight of how to interact with you in this unseen realm. 
And thirdly, God, I pray for those who are in our midst right now this morning who are suffering, and they've been suffering for a very long time. I pray, God, that you would wrap your arms around them, that you would hold them, and God, that you would heal them in the name of Jesus. God, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen. You know, something about us as humans is that we are able to gut through anything if we have something to look forward to. It's a little bit like the work day when we know at the end of, a, end of the day we're going to get to go home, we're able to gut through the day. Or end of the work week, we know that the weekend is coming. And you know, when people come into my office who have been suffering for a very long time, it's sometimes one of the most helpless feelings that I get because I don't, I don't know how to help them. I'm not like Jesus where I can reach out and touch them and heal them or here, touch my sweater and you'll be better. Maybe one day, I don't know, but at the moment I'm not. And so when I have those kind of people in my life, all I can do is point them to a future, something that they can look forward to. So I want to do that this morning. And for those of you who have suffered for a long time, I want you to just let this passage just soak into your heart. And may you just, just ponder it and meditate on it. You've heard it before, it's nothing new. But I think sometimes we need to set it before our view, put it in our front windshield so we can look at it, so that we can gut through the day that we're in right now. So I'm going to read it to you, and if you want, you can close your eyes, but I want you just to picture what's being said. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy, and they're true. And he said, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning, and I am the end. Amen? Focus on that. Look forward to that, because I promise you, it will happen. Guys, I love you so very, very much. Have an awesome week, and we'll see you next Sunday.